0: group of people that when you start talking about the end times or the end of the world stuff with them, as you talk, they get more and more excited. They get more and more energized and more and more animated. I had this experience this week as I talked to somebody and they were getting more and more energized. And I thought I was watching them and like, this is a thing, you know, because there's other people and if you try to you go and you talk to them about the end times or about, you know, the end of the world, they will become more and more despondent, and they'll become more and more depressed as the conversation goes, and they'll want to be the driver who drove off the edge of the bridge, right? Like, they're like, just, just let me end it now. Like, this is, not, it's too heavy. And there's, there's very few people who are really just in between. They're just kind of indifferent. Usually people have one of those two responses, and maybe there's a few in, in between, so I would like to welcome you to my sermon on the end of the world. <laughs> those on one side and the other, and those who are in between. And I just want to encourage you, just don't run away. Just stay, and um, I think it will be good. I think we'll, we'll uh, end up in a good place by the end. We've been working through our series, which is Luke for everyone, and we've been working through the the. Uh, gospel of Luke. It's it's the Lent season, and we're in, in the Passion season, the Passion week in Luke, and uh, we're drawing near to the end of Luke. Not of the world, just of Luke. Well, maybe the end of the world. We'll find out. Now, we have two more chapters, and we're hoping that um, that as we started three years ago, that we'll be able to wrap up those next two chapters at the easter season so at at easter and the next week so resurrection sunday that we'll be able to finish up the book of luke and we're gonna have a special party on that day because it's been so long but it's been good too and as we worked through the book of luke we found that there's this theme there's a few things but one particular theme running through that we keep highlighting and that's that the good news is good news for everyone every willing heart is good news And uh, so we pick up our story. Jesus has just come into Jerusalem for the last time. He's, He's come in, and it's the triumphal entry. So he came in on the donkey, and everyone was waving. We call it Palm Sunday when we celebrate it. And palm branches and all these people laying down their coats and shouting these messianic acclaims over Jesus, that he's the king. And he rides in, and he rides in, and he goes into the temple, and he clears the temple. And he throws over the tables, and he sets himself up some space, and... He declares himself in a way to be the king by, by taking space and sitting and, and he begins to teach the people and they all come and they gather and they're all waiting for him to, to, to do something spectacular. And he's there teaching and so the crowds are there. And we also see, have seen that there's also this other group, the religious leaders and the political leaders who are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to embarrass him. They're trying to indict him, get him into a corner so that they can get rid of him. That's their goal. But every time they think that they've got a good idea on how to do that, Jesus seems to know just what to say or just what to do. And he always seems to, you know, work his way around it and actually make them look foolish in the process. This is where we pick up our story. Now, Jesus knows his death is coming. He said it so many times. And even though that's exactly what the religious and political leaders want, Jesus is walking through that in his own time. He's not letting them dictate the timing. He is. And so he continues to say this and warn them. But my question, like what I wonder is like, what all does he say right now? We're getting right down to the end. So what are the things Jesus imparts to his followers in this really critical time? What are the things he does and says? That's our story this morning. Luke chapter 21. And we're going to read quite a few verses. So if you have a Bible or if you have an app, we've got some Bibles on the back table too if you'd like. And we're going to read verses 5 to 37. And it's a good chunk. And so if you're able to follow along in something that might be easier, Um, this passage is also found in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 versions of it. Um, And so I'll, I'll read it. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And, and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid. Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding at what is coming in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Are you feeling depressed? It's okay. You're one of the two groups. We already, we already said that. The big idea this morning is this, that until Jesus returns, we are to make the most of our opportunities in hopeful anticipation. You got that out of that? Yes. Until Jesus returns, we make the most of our opportunities in hopeful anticipation. There's a song that goes like this It's the end of the world as we know it. You know that song? You ever heard it? It's all saying, It's the end of the world as they knew it. It Was the end of the world as they knew it. There's been a lot of movies, a bunch of different movies, especially in the last number of years, where the White House is destroyed. I don't know if you've ever seen this. more maybe action movies or science fiction movies or something like that. But there's these different movies where this is the, the, the case. Or maybe the Washington Memorial or the Statue of Liberty. And I remember there's a trivia thing that, like, the first movie that depicted the, the, the White House being destroyed was Independence Day. This movie is like an alien movie many years ago. Now it's like CGI, so it's just like people watch the White House being destroyed. It's like not scary to them. But maybe back in the day it was disturbing, At the very least. Now, I would say that although there's these different movies, you know, Transformers 18 or White House Down or whatever they are, uh, there's a bunch of them, that the Canadian memorial things or the Canadian buildings are not featured ever like that. Because (laughs) I don't think that if we watched a building being destroyed that was a Canadian building, an iconic Canadian building, we would know what it was. We wouldn't. Most of us wouldn't. We'd be like, oh, what's that? That's your parliament building. Oh, wow, okay. That's where the prime minister lives. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Never seen that before. (laughs) But you know what? For, For the first century Jews, there was a building that was more important than the White House. It was more connected to the fabric of their culture and their society and what their beliefs were about God. And it was the temple. The temple was this place. It was the particular temple of Jesus' time was built by Herod the Great, and they say it exceeded the seven wonders of the world in beauty and size. That's a real picture. as always. Um, the temple was more than twice the size of the Acropolis in Greece. It was big, really big. and it was continually under construction. So just like maybe city streets in Maple Ridge, where you're like, are they fixing this street again, or oh, now they got to repair this part, or they're doing that. like the temple. It was so massive; it was always under construction, and even to to expand it and to build it into what it was, Herod had to get engineers, and they had to reinforce parts of it. Like, they had to do all this crazy stuff to build it. It ended up being uh, an area that was one sixth of the entire city was the temple. Huge. The buildings were made of gleaming white marble. And uh, commentators will say that the eastern wall of the large main structure was covered with these gold plates so that in the morning sun it would reflect off of the temple and it was like, it was a thing you could see from all over. This incredible reflection of light. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Another one writes wealthy people gave gifts of gold sculptures and gold plaques and other treasures to the temple and Herod had donated a, a golden vine with clusters of golden grapes nearly six feet tall. And the gifts were all displayed on the walls and suspended in the portico and they constituted an unimaginable collection of wealth. This was the thing they swore by the temple it was the kingdom of God. It was the the nation of Israel. It was it was God's presence, the temple. This was what they counted on. This was it was always going to be here. It was the most beautiful and holy thing that they knew. So, for example, in John chapter two, when Jesus says this at the beginning of his ministry, he says. He answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up, will you raise it up in three days? And John tells us, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. No wonder people were upset about that statement. And later, it's one of the things they accused Jesus of, they changed the words a little bit, Jesus said he would destroy the temple, you know, and they make it into an accusation. No wonder it upset people. And even here, when Jesus predicts the temple will actually be destroyed, it would be like hearing blasphemy. It would, be, it would be so shocking, so horrifying. It would be like the end of the world. That's what it would feel like. The temple destroyed, well, that's the end of the world, isn't it? And his disciples want to know when. When is this happening? And they want to know some signs. Like the word is actually miraculous sign. Like, what, What are the miraculous warning signs that we need to know so that we're ready for this cataclysmic event of this incredible thing that is the centerpiece of our lives? The temple being destroyed. And when they heard his answer, they weren't thinking of you and me. They weren't thinking of you and me the first century followers of Jesus didn't think he was being symbolic or distantly futuristic. And in fact, a number of years later, as we talked about, when Titus and his legions form up around Jerusalem, around 68 AD, his followers would have been thinking of Jesus' words. And when their friends and their family and relatives were killed or led off to the circus in Rome, when the temple burned so hot That the stones turned to ash? They would have been thinking of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter, for these are the days of vengeance. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled. By the Gentiles. Like it seems like good advice now. When we look back on it. Hey when the armies surround Jerusalem. Like the Romans run for it. Because it's going to be horrible. And that's what the historians. The story they tell is it was horrible. Brutal. Tragic. But Jesus tells them even more. What to expect. He says before these things happen. Before all this. Let me tell you something. And this is what he says to them. Before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute, delivering you up. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. You will be delivered up. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated. Now that prophecy comes true as well. Doesn't it? Luke tells the the story of how it comes true in Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And there arose on that day a great... Persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Like the followers of Jesus would have thought of his words as they endured suffering and persecution. They would have thought of the things he said, and, oh, this is what he said, okay. Maybe that's why they didn't just give up. Maybe that's why they didn't, They didn't leave the church or recant their witness. Maybe that's why they took it in stride and made the most of the opportunity by preaching the word everywhere they went. And their generation didn't miss out, did they? They stood strong. They cheerfully endured. And like Stephen, who sees heaven open and Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he sees his redemption Jesus enthroned. And it's the end of the world as we know it. It's also our question, and if we're honest, I have this question is Jesus really coming back? And when he's coming, if, if and when he's coming back, how will we know? What are the signs? What are the things? These are questions we wrestle with, maybe not every day, and some of us maybe more than others. But these are things we want to know. Is Jesus coming back and how will we know? The things Jesus says here, wars, tumults, nation fighting nation, earthquakes, famine, pestilence. I mean, we have Ebola, right? Perplexity over California drought. We've got BC wildfire. We've got ozone depletion. We've got distress over global warming and the rising seas and fig trees blooming. Fig trees blooming? What? Like, are these the signs? This is how we're supposed to know? Jesus, could you be a little more specific, maybe, in some of these things? Because it feels like some of this stuff's been happening for a while, and I'm not sure. Is Are these the signs? Is this it? You know, I grew up in the church. I don't know about you, but if you didn't grow up in the church, I think most of us have heard of Armageddon, this concept, and and I think even if you didn't grow up in the church, you'll have heard of some things like the Mark of the Beast or the Antichrist or the number 666 or the Rapture or Tribulation. These are like words we associate with, some people associate them with horror movies and some people associate them with the end times. And in the church, it's like, maybe we're afraid a little bit of both. We're not sure. And, and today we wrestle with, there's people who, who, who will tell you there's all sorts of things happening. There's the European Union. And they won't let Britain go. And that's a problem for them. And there's TAP and Interact Bank cards, and there's iPhone dependency, and there's Amazon drone package delivery, and Facebook privacy issues, and North Korean nukes, and Donald Trump, who may be good or bad, depending on who you talk to. You know, Ron woke up the other day, and he's got uh, Google Home. And so, and usually in the morning he listens to CBC radio. And so he walked into his kitchen and suddenly CBC radio started playing. And he was like, I didn't even say anything. It's like Google can hear you breathing, Ron. It knows you're here. (laughs) Is this the end of the world? Look, is this the end of the world? Jesus says the end of the world is the end is gonna be both scary. And normal. Scary and normal. Lauren and I were in Azerbaijan uh, on October 17, 2003, and this was the headline in the newspaper uh, that our families read. It said, This to die in violence is Azerbaijan after Azerbaijan. Elections. Two people died and at least 50 were reported injured after Azerbaijani police yesterday attacked dozens taking part in an opposition rally on the steps of the National Parliament Building in Baku in an escalation of the violence that broke out after Wednesday's presidential election. Officials said an unspecified number of police officers had been killed and it was claimed that one officer had had his eyes gouged out. Like, thank you, newspaper... That's like a claim. Someone had their eyes gouged out in Azerbaijan, and our parents were nervous. They, st- they were calling us, they were trying to get a hold of us. Are you guys okay? what happened? I was there with a pregnant Lauren, like our first baby pregnant like like whoa, and they, people were worried they were reading these things and hearing these news. Are you guys okay? what happened? were you you're in Baku? Did you see any of this? He said, I think we were playing cards that night or something. <laughs> Like, we didn't see any of that. Like, people were a bit, you know, there's a bit of stuff, but then we just went home, and it's like saying something happened in Burnaby, and we're in Maple Ridge. Like, did you see it? No, I didn't see Oh, I heard about it. Yeah, I read it on the news. I read it on the news, too. Yeah, I don't know who got their eyes gouged yet. I don't think that's a real thing, but okay. Like, Jesus says the end might feel scary if you're reading the news about it, but it will also feel really normal, too. Maybe too normal. Because you don't know you're a part of history when you're a part of it. Do we? We know later, oh, wow, that was a big world event. Oh, I didn't even know that. I just, like, we just lived through that. I didn't see it. I wasn't a part of it. it just kind of was happening somewhere. This is what it's like. There'll be scary things happening, but your life maybe is pretty normal. But Jesus is returning That's his promise. That's what he says. It says that Jesus says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the promise. We just don't know when. And the end times watchers will give us lots of dates. There's lots and lots of dates. Lots of ideas on when that's happening. Starting a long time ago. Year of 1000. I only picked a few. 1000. 1504. 1700. 1829. A guy named George Rapp. In 1829, he told his followers, Jesus is coming back on this day. And the day passed and all his followers left and they followed after another guy, Bernard Mueller, who claimed to be the Lion of Judah. That would be really discouraging if your church left, just everyone was gone. And he said, what happened to your church? Everyone left to follow the Lion of Judah. His other name's Bernard. (laughs) Bernard is not the Lion of Judah. Or in 1982 or 1994 or the year 2000, if you were around then. Y2K, <laughs> we, we thought it was going to be then. Or, the, or lunar eclipse, or any kind of sky things, lunar eclipses. Like, we, we're like, is that the sign? We don't know. And people, they, get, they say, oh, I think it's this, or I think it's that. Jesus says this, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, Bernard. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Don't be distracted from the mission. There's lots that needs doing before the end. Lots that you're called to, lots that I'm called to. And that's what we need to be about. The picture Jesus leaves us with is not a picture of fear. Do you know of all the pictures he could have picked to say right then, this is what it's like? Do you know what he picked? A fig tree. A fig tree. One of the trees there that drops its leaves and grows new leaves in the season. So it would be like a seasonal tree that demonstrates the seasons are coming and going. Not like pine trees, but like a fruit tree. And Jesus says, As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and you know that summer's already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. You guys, this is not a scary picture. This is not a picture of dread. It's actually just the opposite. But do you dread spring coming? Only if you're thinking about spring cleaning. The longing for spring is a happy one, and we should know that in Vancouver. We don't get to celebrate winter the way other people in Canada do, nor can we complain about winter the same way everyone else in Canada does, right? Our winters typically, not this year, but typically are just overcast. It's just like clouds and, some, and lots of rain for six months, right? This is, this is winter, right? So we can't complain the same way, about, and yet we do complain. We complain to each other about how horrible winter is, how dark it is, how depressed we feel, and when the day begins to change, it gets lighter in the morning. Don't you feel it? That hopefulness. Oh, Spring's coming again, and then you see, oh, trees are starting to, to, blo- to blossom and bud. And it means you're already too late to prune. That's what happens to me. My trees are already, oh man, I'm already too late. Spring's coming. But I get excited. I have a hopeful, a happy and hopeful longing for spring. Because of what it means in my heart and to me. And you see, this is what Jesus says. He says, that's how you should feel about the kingdom coming. When you see all this stuff that sounds really scary, think of it like blossoms on the tree. Like it means the kingdom is near. And there should be something that happens in your heart. And so you know what? And people will debate this. Whether Jesus was talking just to those people listening. Or just to us. Or both to them and to us. It doesn't matter because the message is the same. We're not afraid because Jesus' coming is like spring. It's hopeful. Like spring. So... How should we live? What should we do about this? Should we be news scanning or conspiracy hunting? Should, we, should I avoid my tap card? Is Apple the Antichrist? Should Ron return his Google Home for a refund? Jesus gives us a weird warning. To me, it's weird because there's a lot of other things I feel like he should say. But the warning he gives is this. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts Be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Jesus says, in spite of all these things, things you and I would read and be like, oh my goodness, when that happens, we are going to be so alert and we're going to be so aware and we're going to be so on it. Jesus says, no, that's not what happens. What's going to happen is you're going to numb out. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to become lethargic to get drunk. Well, okay, maybe maybe that's not your thing. Be like, drunk? I don't get drunk. Maybe you get drunk on Netflix. Do you know what dissipation means? Dissipation is the headache that comes when you've like a hangover headache, basically. Now, if you don't get drunk a lot, you'll be like, I've never had that, and I'll be like, Oh, that's good. Have you ever gotten a headache from watching too much TV <laughs> or too much caffeine or something else? Well, what are the things we, we go to, entertainment? Or There's lots of areas we could go to that numb us. In Matthew, he says it this way, Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The problem is that our hearts will grow cold. That's what Jesus says. That we'll grow tired of waiting and we'll lose hope. That's the danger. See, waiting is a theme. It's a theme that that happens over and over, and it bothers me because (laughs) it's our cat picture for today. Waiting bothers me because I don't like waiting. I mean, I will say I like waiting, and I'm a very patient person, but the truth is that if I'm waiting, you could I could sit and start waiting. Like, maybe people are getting ready in our house, and I'm waiting by the door, waiting for something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then it's like, okay, are you guys ready yet? And you're like, you, that was like 10 seconds, John. You waited 10 seconds. Okay, well, it felt like a long time. And then I wait long. Oh, this must be like 10 minutes. No, it's like 30 seconds. You know, it's like, it just... It's, wait, we're not good at waiting, and that's the problem. Jesus, in the Matthew account, follows up this part of the story with a whole bunch of stories on waiting. That's what's next in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 1, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. So it's the story of the virgins waiting for the bridegroom who's delayed And the lamps go out and they're in trouble. Or the story of Matthew 25 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants. It's the story of the talents. The man gives his servants a job to do and then he goes away for a long time. Some of them are working at the kingdom business, developing talents, and others bury it. That's the story. Or in Mark, Jesus tells it this way. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, This will be a long wait. That's what Jesus is emphasizing. A long wait. And the tendency for us will be to numb out or check out or give up. Or just to believe it's not happening. Those who are waiting are supposed to be busy. The bridesmaids making sure the lamps are lit. Waiting attentively. The the servants are busy about the king's business. The, the, the watcher, the doorkeeper, is waiting, watching for the king to come back. This is the picture. They're doing something. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? People are fainting, Jesus says, terrified. And that's a good description of our world. Like, henny-penny, the sky is falling type terror. Panic, right? That's what it's like. You go talk to people, people are afraid. They're terrified about what's happening in the world. What do we do? I'd encourage you, listen to Jesus. Because he says so many great things in this passage. Really listen. This is what he says. Number one, do not be terrified. I'm so scared. Do not be terrified. But what about the war? Do not be terrified. That's all going to happen. Yeah, don't worry. That's, That's happening. Do not be terrified. But what about this? Have you read about this new thing? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. What? It doesn't bother you? No, because I am called not to be terrified. Secondly, Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This will be an opportunity. What are you doing with your opportunity? Do you see the opportunity? When you're pressed, when things are hard, when people are stressed, do you see the opportunity? When people are pressed into a corner, there's opportunity for us and for those around us. To experience the good news. Thirdly, Jesus says, not a hair of your head will perish. This is one of these are like some of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Jesus says, He's telling him, Some of you are gonna die, but not one hair on your head will perish. You're like, okay, that's weird. Is that weird to anyone else? You just told us we're gonna die, and then you just told us not one of us, not one hair on our head is gonna perish. Why are you saying that, Jesus? And that's the truth. The truth is we live in this strange contradiction that our lives are are not here to be taken. You can't take my life. You can't can't steal my joy because it's not here to be stolen. You You can't diminish my wealth because it's not in a bank account over there. You can't take my life because I already died. And I was reborn in Christ. And my life now goes on forever. So whatever you do to my body, man, I am eternal. Nothing, nothing can you take from me that matters. Number four, Jesus says cheerful endurance. So this word endurance, which makes it sound like by your endurance, you will gain life. Like, oh, will I lose my endurance and will I lose my life? Does that mean I'm going to lose my salvation? What's going to happen? I don't, I don't know if I can hold on. We have these all these worries. This word means, the endurance word means cheerful endurance, patience, patient continuance, steadfastness, constancy. It's like this picture of like, just stay with it and like allow the spirit of God to bring, to allow, to bring something out of this. And as you do that, you'll experience real life. That's the invitation of Jesus. Real life is there. I think he said something like, you know, those who try to lose their lives will find them, and those who try to keep hold of it will lose their lives, right? That very picture. Your real life is in Christ. And as you hold on to him, as you walk with him, you'll experience that real life. And lastly, fifthly, I mean, there's so many good things. He says... When these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. This should be on a plaque on your wall. I'm going to get this made. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What a beautiful picture. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. The whole world, you're like, what is happening? Lift your head, stand tall. Because your redemption is drawing near. That's the picture. When these things take place, you will know the kingdom is coming close. Drawing near. We aren't weighed down. We aren't fainting in fear. We aren't falling over drunk. Or we don't have hangover headaches. Because we have hope. We lift our heads. We see redemption. We see the kingdom. End times doesn't mean circle the wagons. And I think for a lot of years, we took those two things to mean the same thing. Oh, it's the end times. All right, circle the wagons. Okay, everyone hunker down. Get ready to, to just, just endure this. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, he says, lift your heads. The opportunity's here. That's what it means. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We live for the opportunity to share this good news with people that Jesus has come and is coming again. Jesus died and rose again to save the world, to make us fully human the way God intended us to be, to set us free and when he comes again, we're going to see it in fullness. Spring. Spring. The spring we were longing for. So, until Jesus returns, we make the most of our opportunities in hopeful anticipation. Clearly, these were signs for those who were listening. These people would see armies surround Jerusalem, the glorious temple burning and the great weeping, and they would also respond to the charge to make the most of every opportunity. Because in persecution, the church flourished. It grew strong. And clearly, these are signs for us today. We can see these things around us in our world. The environment failing. Nations in conflict. People are afraid. But we hold to the promise that Jesus is returning visibly. We'll all all know it when it happens. And these signs should fill us with a hopeful longing, like spring coming. And our tendency will be to stop waiting, to give in, to numb out, to check out, or give up. And Jesus tells us clearly, do not be afraid. Make the most of your opportunities. You're going to be okay, even if they killed you you're going to be okay. Your cheerful endurance will allow you to experience the real life. So straighten up and lift your heads because the kingdom is here. Let's pray.